Well, hi guys, so fantastic to be with you today. If you haven't met me yet, my name's Donovan, along with my wife, Heidi. We give leadership to the eldership team in Common Ground, Constantinburg. Uh, there's a picture of us and our two kids, Rachel and Rebecca. Uh, it's so fantastic to be with this morning. Uh, I've just had a, a great experience last week. Uh, a lot of the congregational leaders from Common Ground went to an advanced conference in Johannesburg. Advance is kind of the movement of churches that we're a part of. And, and congregational leaders from all over South Africa gathered together, and it was just so enriching. I mean, I haven't seen some of those guys in two years, so hearing how they're doing, how their churches are doing, the highs, the lows, you know, the challenges, the opportunities. I mean, hearing about new churches that are being planted. I can't wait to go to Durban to visit my, my family there, uh, to visit some of these church plants, the one particular that's opening in the city of Durban, and just celebrating the richness of, of being part of this greater community. And I mean, I'm right slap bang in the, in the middle of this two-week series of being the family of God, and, and I'm living in this, this rich expression of it with brothers and sisters from all over South Africa. So it was just such an electrifying experience. We are in week two of two in our mini-series on the family of God. And last week, we looked at what it means to be the family of God and, and how we become part of that family. If you missed it, I, I really want to encourage you to go and check it out. We're, we're, today, we're looking at how the family of God thrives. I mean, just because we're family doesn't mean we're healthy. Doesn't mean we're thriving. I mean, we can be dysfunctional. We can be unhappy or distant. Not every family is a thriving family. Luckily for us, we don't have to figure out, you know, how to cause the, the God's family to flourish. We just get to look at God's truth. We get to look at the scriptures. We get to allow them to shape and inform how we thrive as a church family. And there's, there's so much for us in the scriptures. Today, we're just going to focus on Acts chapter 2, on these few scriptures that I'm going to read in a moment, and we're going to see how the family of God thrives. Now, I'm not sure where you're watching from this morning. Uh, if you're a Christ follower, I'm sure most of you are. Maybe you're part of a common ground congregation. If you are, I do encourage you to, to go to your, you know, your local congregation's YouTube or Facebook page or check out if they're meeting in person yet. You know, maybe you're part of another local church or you're not yet uh, in a local church, well, I'm trusting after these two weeks that, that you'll be excited to, to again place yourself in the middle of, of a family, a local church that God is, is forming in the world. You know, I'm teaching this morning as if I'm, I'm speaking to those in a local church. So you might have to adapt that uh, according to the circumstances that you find yourself in. Hey, maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. Can I just say it's so great that you're here, excited that you're joining us. And you know, faith in Christ is so much more than just going to heaven one day. You know, the truth is, uh, there's a family that God wants to give you. God wants to catch you up in something much greater than yourself, a, a family, a community where you can truly belong, where you can truly find purpose and meaning. Okay, fantastic to have all of you guys here. Let me just explain where we're going today. Firstly, I'm going to read this text then I'm going to share the big idea for today's message. And then I'm going to pull out five observations uh, from, this, from the text. And then I'm going to, ha right at the end, as a sixth point, I want to leave us with a challenge. So, uh, yeah, let's go. Let's read together. Acts 2 verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. 
everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, this is God's word and may speak to us through it this, uh, today. So before I pray for us, I want to mention a few things about how we approach this text in Acts chapter 2. You know, sometimes we come across people and they say, yeah, man, what's the big deal? What's the fuss? Let's just do this. I mean, let's just live in the reality of Acts chapter 2. And uh, I think what we need to realize when we read this text is that what we're seeing here is the very earliest expression of the local church. I mean, we're seeing the raw outworking of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in, in the emerging church. And it's absolutely beautiful. And there's so much that we can learn from it. At the same time, we need to realize that as the book of Acts continues, the church transforms. You know, the church spreads, it begins to grow. And, and like us, as the church grows, it goes through some growing pains and, and some complexities come, it, come into it. I mean, think about, for example, why we have all the epistles in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Colossians. I mean, these are letters written to churches or, you know, to specific churches or churches in a region. Sometimes they're, they're written to be passed between churches. And these letters are circulated to the churches to bring teaching correction, encouragement, training in righteousness. You see, as the church grows, as it begins to emerge, you start to find discord, disunity, classism, prevalent sexual sin, false teaching, diminishing generosity, misunderstandings of grace, distortions of the gospel, and the list goes on and on. The truth is, this is what happens when God opens his family to people like me. So we come to this text text with open hearts. We, we can't just adopt what Acts chapter 2 is, is saying uh, as it is, but no, no, we need to adapt. We need to take the learnings we can and apply those to our circumstances today. Okay, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for your scriptures. Thank you for your words of truth and wisdom. Thank you, God, that you provide for us uh, the building blocks, the foundation for how to thrive as people and as communities. That's how you created us to live and to be. So Father God, as we look at these, these verses that you would speak to us, that you would transform us both as individuals, but also as a church. God, we wanna be the kind of people that you dwell within in great power through your spirit. We love you, God. Have your way in us. Amen. Okay, so the big idea for the message today is this. The family of God thrives when we're a devoted family. It's right there in verse 42. It says they devoted themselves. And the, the meaning there is, is to continue to do something with intense effort, to keep on, to persist. It's got the idea of kind of being single-minded and steadfast to a particular course of action. So they were devoted, they were committed, they kept going in that direction. 
In other words, this was very important to them. But not only important, it was also an incredible joy and an incredible privilege. And so people gave themselves to this beautiful and wonderful uh, local church family that God is building. Uh, Truthfully, if I'm totally honest, this has been a super exciting, but also a deeply challenging series to prepare for me personally. I think there's been a huge amount of joy because I think as I've, I've seen the beauty, I mean, I said last week that there are few things more beautiful and compelling than God's vision for the local church. And as I've seen it and awakened to it and even experienced it in our own church and in a, at the advanced gathering, I'm, I'm experiencing a richness of life that I feel like I've missed out on somehow. But also, at the same time, I've been deeply challenged because it feels like so much of my my thinking, so much of the culture that I live in, so much of the way the world is around me seems to put me at odds with this family that God's forming. Seems to be forming and shaping me in a different direction, in a different way that really isn't helping me. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Maybe I'll start with a quote from from sociologist and philosopher Zygmunt Bauman. He says this, "In In a consumer culture like ours, which favors products ready for instant use, quick fixes, instantaneous satisfaction, result calling for no protracted efforts, foolproof recipes, all risk insurance, and money back guarantees, the promise to learn the art of loving is a promise to make love experience in the likeness of other commodities that allure and seduce by brandishing all such features and promises to take the waiting out of the wanting, sweat out of effort and effort out of results. He's saying to us that that love is hard. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. And somehow we want to turn these, this love, this relationship into a commodity that we can somehow purchase or, or quickly get our hands around to use for our own purposes. I mean, I know this is blunt, but think about this for a second. We've taken the most intimate of human interactions, sex. I mean, you can literally, through an app on your phone, in 30 minutes from now, be hooking up with someone and sharing in this most intimate of human relationships. We've taken all the effort, all the, all the fun, all the depth out of even this intimate relationship and turned it simply into a commodity for us to use as and when we see fit. I mean, maybe, maybe you express it in different ways. Maybe, you know, you've noticed that we tend to form Velcro relationships. I think that's a good way of saying it, you know, where we, we, we kind of are building relationships uh, because they, they fit our purposes. Maybe they're helping us in work or, you know, whatever it can be. And we're putting in kind of minimal effort and we're making that relationship and then we're pulling away and we're making another relationship and we're pulling away. And what happens is, is we end up with these kind of very low depth, kind of not very intimate kind of lacking depth and true satisfactory relationships that we're always pulling apart from because we're living kind of to suit our purposes and further our own means. Okay, here's another quote. It's from Lewis Smedes. He says, where people no longer have the inner daring to make serious promises or the grit to keep them, human community becomes a combat zone of competing self-maximizers. 
I mean, we can unwittingly end up creating so much relational trauma as we go about making things happen for ourselves, as we, as we make our own preferences and priorities uh, the basis around which we build friendships and community. Social media, the emergence of, you know, YOLO and FOMO, you only live once, you know, fear of missing out. They're having a profound relationship on, on the quality of our relationships, of our expectations of what relationships should be. And I fear not for the good. I think it's good for us and we would do well to, to take a step back and look at the foundations of this biblical family, this community that God's building from Acts chapter 2 and see what we can learn. This text really helps us because it, it, it helps us to, to um, kind of aim our devotion, to focus, channel our devotion in the right areas. I think the truth is we don't have a problem with devotion. Our difficulty is, is where we kind of place our devotion. And so let's see what we can learn from this text today. I want to mention four areas of devotion. So firstly, let's be devoted to the Bible as a local church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everyone was filled with awe. Many signs and miracles were done by the apostles. I spoke about this a little bit last week. It's, it's so interesting that when you speak about a church community or church family, it seems to always come back and mention the scriptures. It's just such an important building block. Now, of course, when you know, Acts was written, when, when uh, this was happening that is described for us here in the book of Acts, the Bible didn't exist as we know it. I mean, that would only come later. What the people are devoting themselves to is the teachings of the apostles. They're the eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And the church devotes themselves to these teachings. I mean, think about it. What gave these apostles their authority? Why was it that people devoted themselves to their teaching? Well, the authority came partly from the miraculous signs and wonders that they were performing that kind of gave them their authority, that gave them their, their stamp of approval from heaven. You know, today, the, the te their teachings come to us through the New Testament. It's nicely collated for us. And it actually is a mighty work of God, just in a very different way. So if we're going to be a thriving family of God, we're going to need to be the kind of people who live by the truth and light of God's word. And we allow the truth and light of God's word to form us and shape us. You know, the thought of us trying to, to be the family of God, to live as the family of God as, as God wants, apart from being devoted to the scriptures, is actually a, a crazy thought. I mean, it's just not going to happen. There's no way to become those kind of people except through submitting our lives to the word of God and its truth. I mean, I'm assuming that, that we're all awake to the fact that the world and our culture is shaping and forming us all the time. And we need to give ourselves to the scriptures to enable God to counterform us toward his will for our lives. You know, the truth is what you think about, what you talk about, the kind of friends you have and uh, what they're talking about, what you're giving your attention to, it's radically impacting us and forming our thinking all the time. And I think this devotion to the Bible, it, it applies to us as individuals, but also to us as a church community. You know, when we gather, we gather around God's word. I think for us as a church community, we're, we're often on a journey. And as we're teaching the scriptures like I'm doing this morning, God's at work shaping and forming us as a people. 
I mean, it's a fantastic reason for why as Christ followers who are committed to a local church, we should be at church probably at least four out of five Sundays so that we're, we're under the word of God along with our community, that we're growing together, that we're moving together, that we're allowing God to shape and form us together. You know, when we're not there or it's very disjointed and as a family, we, we struggle to be under the word of God as a people. It's also why we encourage you when you're listening to a message like this one to have a notebook and pen and, and to humbly pray and say, God, would you speak to me? Would you shape me? Would you transform me? So that as we're teaching God's word, as you're listening to God's word, that, that we're not just hearing it, but no, no, we're doing it. We're responding. We're being transformed. We're allowing the word of God to shape and form us. Okay, let me ask you a challenging question. <laughs> How is your devotion to the scriptures? I mean, the number one way that we grow as Christ followers is to daily, if not daily, very regularly to read, reflect on what we're reading, and then response in prayer, in, in, respond in prayer to God's word. I mean, it's something we should all be doing. I think we need to build in a regular time where we do that. I think we need to have a, a space if that helps where we know we can go. That's our spot. It's quiet. It's the right time. There's no distractions. And then we get into God's word. Maybe I want to ask you, do you have a reading plan? I mean, there's so many applications nowadays that can set out a brilliant reading plan that will, that will meet your needs and your timing. Are you reading and studying the Bible with others? I mean, I think this is something that's come alive to me in the last little while, that actually as I, as I read the Bible with people who are different to me, who have different life experiences, I'm, I pick up new things about the scriptures and, and, I, and I find new depth in some of Christ's teaching. So maybe that's something you want to try and give a go. I want to encourage you to, to more than just read, uh, if you can, to study the Word of God, to actually look up some commentaries, to actually go a little deeper, to actually scratch and, and find deeper understanding in God's Word. And there's so many resources out there that can help you do that. And then, of course, the big question is, not only are you reading God's Word, but are you living submitted to God's Word? Does the word of God have authority over your life? That as you read it, it's authoritative, that you're, that you're moldable, that you're shapeable by God's word. Okay, let me keep moving. So firstly, let's be devoted to God's word. Secondly, let's be devoted to each other. We pick that up in these texts and wow, this is radically challenging. I mean, as you read Acts chapter two, you, you know, you ought to ask yourself, are we supposed to sell everything? Are we supposed to just, you know, not have any private property and just give to people as they have need? Well, I want to answer that question in just a little bit. But first, let's, let's go a little deeper. They devoted themselves to fellowship, the Greek word koinonia. And it speaks of participation. It speaks of a close bond. It speaks of two-sided relationship with both giving and receiving. It's a close mutual relationship with involvement uh, to each other. In other words, the early church experienced a kind of common life. Like there's a living bond between Christ followers that cause us to live in a certain kind of way. I think, think about it a little bit like living in South Africa. We have a common way of life. You know, you stick to the left, you, you drive to the left, you pass on the right, you stop at red lights and you accelerate when the lights go orange. Obviously, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But even in the early church, there's, there's the same common culture, this common life that, that the spirit and, and the teaching of the apostles brings about. And, and it's clear that the common life, it's not driven by you know, economic theory. It's not about philosophy or law. 
It's Christian love that renounces ownership or or, or only self-interest and seeks to help others. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. Another way to say it is this. The common life amongst believers is is a voluntary, other-centered expression of love. Wow. The common life amongst believers is a voluntary, other-centered expression of love. Simply beautiful. Let's go back to the question I raised a little while ago. You know, are we supposed to sell all our possessions, you know, give it to, to the local church? You know, is this a form of socialism or a swipe at capitalism? Well, as you look through the book of Acts, you see that it clearly doesn't mean that every Christ follower is meant to sell all their possessions. The Bible isn't opposed to private ownership. I mean, in verse 45, you read that uh, it's, you read the word selling everything they had and, and it's the imperfect tense. It means this is something that happened now and again, not all the time. In verse 47, you read about people breaking bread in their homes. So they still owned homes. It was still their homes. And then in Acts chapter 5, you get the, the sobering story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they experience the judgment of God. And the judgment isn't about whether they did or didn't own property. The problem was they lied about what they did with the proceeds. The property was theirs to do with as they wanted, but yet they chose to lie. I want to just read it together. A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Did it not belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Can you see the beauty of a devoted family? I mean, the property and the proceeds were his to do with as he pleased. And he voluntarily chose to bring some of it. But unfortunately, he lied about how much of it he brought. I'm I'm not an economist by any means. I'm way out of my wheelhouse here. But I think what we're seeing here is maybe a, a healthy expression of capitalism. This voluntary, other centered generosity from those whose lives have been radically impacted and transformed by the love of God. I mean, how beautiful is this text out of Acts 4? It says, there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Christian love fellowship is Christian caring and Christian caring is Christian sharing. Now, I know it's, it's not all about finance, but I think there's a reason why uh, the New Testament and Jesus in particular spoke more about money and wealth than he did about prayer, heaven, and hell combined. I think if we can get to the point where we're generous with our, with our wealth, with our finances, it means that we're, we're more easily able to be generous with our time, our, our expertise, our relationships, our love. We somehow, money is the thing we tend to hold on so tightly. And if we can learn to be generous-hearted, other-centered, on a volunteer basis, man, that's when we know God is at work in us. That's when we know that we're being the family that God has called us to be. Okay, thirdly, let's be devoted to worship and prayer. You read about the, the, them being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and then to the breaking of bread and prayer. 
And they met together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. See, this fellowship, this family, isn't all about caring for each other. It's also about corporate worship. It's about breaking bread and prayer. And it happens formally in the temple courts and informally in people's homes. So breaking of bread is a reference to communion or the Lord's Supper. It's, it's when we remember Christ. It's when we, we gather around some bread and, and some grape juice or some wine and we remember Christ. We, we stop and we, we bring our lives and we center our lives around Christ. We celebrate his life, his death, his resurrection. And we remember the time will come when we celebrate this meal, where we eat this meal again with Christ in glory. And so what it does for us is it, it celebrates the past. It energizes our present as we remember Christ and all that he's done for us. It, it energizes this common life that we share in. And it points us to the future, reminding us that it's all worth it in the end. And I think we need to do more communion, not only in the church formally, but also as you gather together in homes, as people come around, as you meet with other Christ followers, share communion together and pray both formally and informally. Man, we need to be a praying people. There's two things I've heard about prayer that kind of I carry with me all the time. The first one is this. It says that prayer is the slender tendon that moves the right hand of God. I mean, when we pray, we can bring the power and the majesty of God, the sovereignty of God to bear on our circumstances. And the other thing I remember hearing is that, is that prayer is not uh, the amount that we pray. It's not an indication of our discipline, but rather it's an indication of our devotion and dependency, dependency on God. Are we dependent on God? Do we need God to empower our lives? Well, then we're going to be a people of prayer. And the truth is when we're engaged in the family of God, when we're living this common life of other-centered love, Prayer is just normative. I mean, it's, it becomes essential. It's difficult to live and love people around you without bringing them to God in prayer, without being concerned about their difficulties and their trials and crying out to God and saying, God, would you be with them? Would you help them? Would you rescue them? Would you provide for them? Would you encourage them? As you get to know people and start to care and build those relationships, prayer emerges powerfully. As a local church, uh, as an eldership team, we've been calling people. Uh, we haven't seen people in a long time. And it's been fascinating to see how, I guess, our pastoral energy and shepherd's heart have just kind of lifted as we've been chatting to people. It's like as you chatting to people, connecting, hearing where they're at, you know, your pastoral concern starts to grow. You, you want to know that the health groups are, are healthy. You're praying more. Uh, it's this just beautiful love and heart and kindness and prayer that emerges. And so it's such a beautiful thing to see. And of course, you can't miss the levels of joy and the awe and the gladness that Acts 2 describes when this common life comes alive in us. Okay, number four, let's be devoted to evangelism. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The family of God is growing. 
You know, it's compelling and no doubt as people go about their lives, they're sharing about Christ and this, this new life and this new community that, that's being formed. And people are being drawn to Christ, being drawn to this community in great numbers. This new community of love and common living is so magnetic and so beautiful. I mean, Rigby often reminds us that the greatest advertisement for the gospel is the transformed lives of the men and women who've received Christ. I mean, it's just so compelling. And I think as a community, we don't want to become those who become, you know, overly internally focused on, on you know, what we're doing or that, we, that we, we're trying to get church right and we end up distorting maybe what church actually exists for. You know, we never neglect mission. We don't choose between these things. It's both all the time. And they catalyze each other to greater and greater effectiveness. We must be busy learning, sharing, worshiping, but never forget witnessing. Harry Boole, he writes a book, Pentecost and Missions. He says this about the church in Acts. Says it says it's governed by one dominant, overriding, and all-controlling controlling motive. The motive is the expansion of the faith through missionary witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness, and continually churches arise out of the witness. The church is a missionary church. Okay, here's my fifth point coming out of the text. It's let's do family. This is a huge one. Family is built on practices, not opinions or desires. Now there's becoming a thriving expression of the family of God comes when we move beyond our opinions and our desires and our preferences and our comforts and we actually start to do family. The truth is living in a consumeristic culture, we can be in danger of bringing that same consumer thinking into the local church. I mean, here's what I mean. We can unwittingly kind of take our Amazon review mindset into church life. And so, you know, we get together as a life group, we, we rate the quality of the teaching, the worship or the gathering. You know, we share our opinions and thoughts about what we maybe liked or didn't like. And, you know, how was it? What did we get out of it? What didn't we get out of it? And we kind of give it a rating. You know, when you, when you start to, to act like that, when we start to stand back and look at church life as something to be rated or something to be, to be consumed, oh man, we're missing out on what God has for us. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having opinions, but you certainly can't build a New Testament church on opinions. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, generosity, praise. These are practice-based activities that we actually do. The time we spend together doing these things is what causes us to thrive. Imagine your family never or hardly ever ate together. Or you never really chatted except saying hi, you know, in a passing corridor moment. You never shared your highs and lows. You never knew what was happening in anyone else in your family's life. You didn't know what job they had or what was troubling them, except for maybe when it intersected with your personal needs. Would you call that a thriving family? No. And it's the same with the family of God. Over the past five to seven years of pastoral ministry, I've noticed the emergence of a very interesting culture. 
it's an interesting challenge. It's, you can speak to people you know, who haven't been in church for a while and, and ask them, you know, how's it going? How are you doing? And people are you know, utterly sure that they love the church and they're fully committed to it. They're just not able to get there. And you know, they're not able to serve. They're not able to commit right now in the season. And, and people genuinely believe this. And I think it is a genuine uh, desire and, and, and an opinion and a, and a heartfelt kind of connectedness to the church that they have. But, but I, have to, I have to point out and I have to say that the desire to be part of a family, the opinion that we love the family, the desire to be committed to the family is totally different to actually doing family. If we fall short if we're happy to just want to be connected or like the idea of being connected, we're always falling short of what God has for us. Well, let's talk a little bit about how this impacts us then. I mean, what does this actually mean for our lives? It means that we're, we're growing in our love for each other as we get to know and make time for each other. Guys, that's what we need to be doing as a local church. That's what it means to thrive and be devoted to each other. We're growing in our love for each other as we get to know each other and make time for each other. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. So let's have meals, coffees, fries, beers, whatever. Let's hang out. Let's get to know each other. Here's another thing it means for us. We attend church regularly. Like I mean four out of five Sundays. It's not a law, it's not a rule, it's not something I want to impose to you, but man, as a, as a church family who's, who's thriving, I mean, this is what it looks like. It means that we're there. You know, sometimes people wonder what they can bring to the local church, and I always like to remind everyone, there's something we can all bring, and that's just rock up, just arrive, just be there. It means something. Someone in my congregation, uh, Roger Wood, he sent me an email and he, and he had these three little points that he had picked up from another message he had listened to. And I, I thought they were so good. It says this, people drift from their community of faith before they drift from their faith. People lose faith when they lose contact with the people of faith. When we see God's faithfulness in someone else's life, it's easier to trust him with ours. Here's another application for us. It's, it's how do we behave in light of all this? Well, we, we serve, we build up, we contribute to family life as we discover and use our means, our roles, and our gifts. We, we come to the family of God. We come to the gathering ready to bring our muscle, our life, our experiencing, what we have to bring for the benefit of others. I mean, that's a voluntary, other-centered expression of love. Okay, here's my final point and uh, the final challenge that I want to place before us, uh, before you. Let's embrace God's vision for family. If you, if you were here last week, this sounds familiar to you. I think this is the first step. Do you want this? Do you desire this? Do you, do you want to be part of this beautiful and compelling family that God is forming in the world? Do you trust God? Well, this is what God wants for you according to the scriptures. Do you want it for yourself? Well, let's desire it. Let's get excited about it. Let's pray for it. Let's move towards it. Let's do something about it together. What is your next step? As this message has gone on, what is your next step? We've seen that for the family of God to thrive, we need to be 
a devoted family. From Acts chapter 2, the call to a thriving family calls us in various ways. Let's be devoted to the Bible, devoted to each other, devoted to worship and prayer, devoted to evangelism. Let's do family and let's embrace God's vision for family together. Let me land with this encouragement from Matthew. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Let me pray for us. Our Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it shapes and forms us. We love to hear your heart for us. We love to hear how you want to cause our thriving and flourishing, how you want to give us life and life to the full. And Father God, I pray you stir us through your spirit, through your word, that you move us, God, that you form and shape us into an ever-increasing, ever more beautiful expression of the family of God you're forming in the local church. Amen. Bless you guys.